the volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. I didn't know that you were an action figure collector. Yeah, I uh, I have a lot of action figures. I blew a lot of my AEW money on action figures. So if I ever become homeless, I, I do have like a savings account in this room right here that I can probably last another six months on earth with. That's like the Zack Ryder, sorry, Matt Cardona, old habits die hard, don't they? Um, that's like the Matt Cardona system of life, right? He's got like all of his action figures. He sells them off. He makes a pretty penny off them. It was one of those things I think everyone always kind of made fun of him for. And then when I had him on this show and I was talking to him about it, I was like, oh shit, you actually like, he invests and he sells them and he's like, he runs like a side hustle with it. It's amazing. It's also because of him and his podcast that these figures are going for so much these days. So <laughs> I have to credit him for uh, wasting a ton of my uh, money. You got to spend your money somewhere, right? You can't take it to the grave with you. You might as well spend it on shit that you like. Spend it now on toys. Make more later. That's my my place. Oh, there we go. <laughs> We were just talking before we started the record about like how everyone, like when you're trying to like set up the Zoom calls and like finding the things to balance your camera on, if you're on your phone or your laptop, trying to get like the eye line, it can all be a shit show. What are you balancing on right now? A glass of water and a Terry Funk figure? Yeah, a small like a small like cocktail glass and uh, mint on card Terry Funk action figure is like the 
the back piece of this uh, this setup. Um, okay, so I've noticed that, yes, you have action figures behind you. You're a collector. Another thing I've noticed since we've jumped on this call is, dare I say you're getting more jacked? Are you stronger? You look very strong right now. Very strong. I've been uh, I've, I've been flaunting it around the independence in the last couple of months. I've been breaking suplex world records all over the world. Take that, Taz. Yeah, I think it's just the position I'm in right now because I don't want to give you guys a nice crotch shot. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of hunched over. But I'm kind of I'm kind of digging this right now because it kind of does make me look pretty jacked up. You look huge. Yeah, you look like very shredded. Though I will also like pair this with the fact that I was. Um, doing my due diligence as a, a journalist and flipping through your Instagram. And I saw a picture of you under like the arches in um, St. Louis also shredded, like had like a, you had like an app situation happening. Are you a body guy? No, no, I'm not a body guy. I, I still, I still drink a lot of beer. I still have a bit of a belly. It depends. I guess some days it depends what I eat before. And it depends on the bloat because once I get bloated, I'm kind of screwed. But Nick Gage was claiming that, in that picture, I photoshopped my ads on. That's what Nick Gage claims. He goes, what's, he says, what is that? What's going on here? He goes, you photoshopped these ads on? I go, no, man. I, I showed him the, I showed him the, uh, the, the round of pictures and, uh, he's like, all right, whatever, man. But I think he still thinks I photoshopped my ads on. Sometimes it's a good day. You get the good lighting. Um, sometimes if you, I would say like, Often if you've had some cocktails the night before and you're like a little dehydrated, the bod can look great the next day. That's really the secret right there. <laughs> I think it's Sadly, it is. I know. It really is. I think the night before we drank quite a lot. So, uh, yeah, I noticed that. I, I think I, I definitely, when I'm dehydrated from a night of drinking, I definitely look more, more lean. But not a complete body guy. Not yet. But from here, it looks like it. So, you know, I'll give credit where I see that credit is due. And you look great. You've got the action figures. Everything is going great with Joey Janela. Um, it does feel that way. I feel like since, I mean, always had like this cool buzz around you. But I feel like since your time now away from AEW, you really have your career in your own hands. What's like the business model to getting like, not that you ever weren't doing that hustle, because I know you were always still doing other indie shows and whatnot while you were with AEW. But now what's it like being back in like that regular grind? Uh, at first, it was kind of uh, kind of difficult to get back into that. Because when I was in AEW, I was doing independent bookings, but I was really only doing GCW on Saturdays. Now, with my extensive ADD, probably... You know, doctors said I, I was one of the worst cases when I was a child. It's very hard to keep track of dates and getting back to that where I was in 2017, 2018, 2019, just being unorganized. But I'm really grasping it this time. And um, my goal is just to make as much money as I was in AEW. But the thing is, you have to work twice as hard because you're not working once a week to make that money. And I'm not charging promoters an arm and a leg to do their shows. That's why promoters love me. Uh, a lot of people, they would leave AEW and they would be charging a ton of money for appearances, a ton of money to wrestle. I just love professional wrestling. So what I'm doing is I'm just trying to get as much bookings as I can. And of course, I'm my body is rocked and socked from all the craziness I've been doing and all the travel. But it's worth it. I've always loved traveling the world. I've always loved meeting fans all over the place. And when you get to do that three, four times a week, it's, it's everything I always wanted. 
obviously you get like an adrenaline boost from going out there, wrestling, doing the matches that you love to do, meeting the fans, getting to do your own thing. But as you just said, your body is beat up. Where do you kind of find the balance on taking care of your body versus like going out and doing all of these bookings and stuff? Like, how does that work for you? I always talk to John about this and I feel like you, you guys are obviously very much so cut from the same cloth. When I was at AEW, we, we, you know, of course, we have the doctors in the back. We have the massage therapists. We have, you know, we have everything at, at our hands. Uh, so when I was beat up during my AEW run, I would just put my name on a piece of paper, walk into an office, and I would have all the resources right there to make me feel better. Now, I did a couple months worth of shows, and I realized, man, I'm beat up. I had a match with Super Crazy in Vegas. Uh, it was all-out weekend. Uh, that was my, I believe that was my second match of that weekend. And I really couldn't get through the match. I got through it, but I have a, uh, a sacrum problem where that pops out of place and then it's hard to walk. It's hard to stand up. So I had a show the next day. I go to myself, I go, if I don't do something about this, I'm not going to be able to wrestle tonight. So someone told me something about the joint chiropractor. It's like a chain chiropractor. Oh yeah. I've, I've seen that. Yeah. 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 You pay, you pay 80 bucks a month. You walk in for five minutes and they adjust you. You tell them what's wrong and they just pop you back into place. And I think that's helped me a lot. 80 bucks a month? That's amazing. You get four adjustments once a week. They're all over the country. Basically, every major city we run in, I can just go on Google and type in the joint. There's one within 20 minutes. So I think it's like if you're, especially if you're an independent wrestler, you don't have health insurance, there's something you got to, you know, take into account. $80 a month isn't. Isn't anything crazy, and it gets me through my three bookings a week. So I appreciate that. So, at what point do you um, strike the balance between like changing up some of your style to help your body to to have a little bit more longevity with your career? Is it obviously it's hard to do that? Your people expect a certain thing from you. Versus what your body is telling you what to do. What's like that internal conversation? I think I've only gotten crazier, to be honest. I know. Like you're like, yeah, like red flag. We got to slow it down or change something up. Yeah. Brett Lauderdale, he's like, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing every show everywhere. And I go, I don't know. That's just what I do now. I, I, I don't know why I do it. Sometimes in my mind, I'm just like, all right, I'm going to take it easy this weekend. And then we get to the show and I don't take it easy. Is it the crowd? Is it the expectation? Is it that that's just what you do? Like what what kind of leans into that when you have it in your mind that you might kind of pump the brakes a little bit and take it a bit easy in a match? And then you go, just kidding. Here I go. Let's light everything on fire. Let's light everything <laughs> on fire. Uh, it's just uh, I am a charismatic human that I can go in the ring and I can jerk around for 15 minutes and get away with it. But... I don't know. I think it's like uh, guys that go see a, a, a dominatrix maybe or something. Maybe that's maybe that's what I'm into. I don't know. Maybe I just like putting my body through torture. I, 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 don't, I don't know. This is how I was before I went to AEW. And then I calmed down a little bit there because there's people to say, knock it the fuck off. Who were the people saying to knock it the fuck off? Well, no one's telling John to knock it the fuck off. This is a therapy session for me as well, by the way, because I feel like mirroring conversations that I have with John. I'm just having it with you. So same thing. But I think people probably are to a degree. I am. (laughs) 
I'm certainly telling him to knock it the fuck off, but I don't know if anybody else is. Most of my time in AEW was in front of no crowds in the dark abyss of Jacksonville, Florida, 3 a.m., wrestling random indie dudes. So there was a time they were like, all right, you can you can take a little easy here. But when I first came in there, it was like pedal to the metal. I had, had John's first match. Love that match. Uh, I loved it too. It's just like I went crazy and then I wrestled Omega a couple matches and went crazy there. And then by the time that did the Cracker Barrel match at All Out, which I went crazy there, I was moonsaulting the top, off the top rope onto the floor and then nothing. And then by the time we got to November, I think it was full gear that year, I was done. My spine was messed up and they were like, I go, I don't know, I'm, I'm messed up to the doctor. And uh, they said, all right, let's get an MRI. They go, Yo, your spine is shaped like an S. Well, that's my fault. Self-induced scoliosis. (laughs) Guilty as charged. Yeah, but now I'm just like an uncaged animal. Uh, Really, no one can tell me what to do. And uh, that's it. I'm just wild. That's it. (laughs) That's just the way that it goes. Punk rock, baby. Let's go. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to come back to that in a second. I want to go back to young you with the ADHD. We were actually just talking with my producers right before you jumped on the call. We were talking about ADHD and being diagnosed with it and like what all goes into that. So what was it like for you as a kid and having a doctor tell you you had one of the worst cases they've ever seen? There was definitely something wrong in elementary school, teachers realized. And that's when ADD kind of first started becoming a thing. It's a big buzzword, yeah. Yeah, I was on Ritalin my whole life. Ritalin didn't do shit uh, besides make me not want to eat anything all day and uh, just bizarre. So as soon as high school was over, I got off. I got off the Ritalin for sure. Could you like feel that though? Like as a kid, because I've I've not been on Ritalin, but I feel like when you're a kid and you're trying to figure out like, wait, why do I feel so weird all of a sudden? Because you does it it just bring you like way down? It definitely brought me down for sure. I didn't like it at all. Mostly because the way... It suppressed my appetite and whatnot, especially in high school and stuff. I was, you know, I was like 95 pounds, you know, as a kid. So as soon as high school was over, I got off of it. But ADD is more difficult than being a child with ADD. Um, because like most relationships I get into, doesn't understand. They think you're, they say you're lazy or you don't want to do this. And it causes depression. It causes a bunch of things. You know, sometimes I just don't want to do anything. And it's not because I don't want to do anything. It's because my ADD is telling me not to. That's interesting because I feel like a lot of people assume that you hear like ADD or ADHD or like, oh my God, this person must just be bouncing off the walls all the time. Or yeah, like the organization, like their mind is just everywhere all the time. But there's the other side of it where you just want to check out completely, right? Yeah, my organization skills are the worst. That's why my apartment right now is probably a mess. And and that's why I work best on the road, I think. I think that's why, like, independence is, like, that's where I want to be because, you know, I can go away for three weeks and not have to deal with shit. Of course, sometimes I'm, my bills are late. I was just going to say, are you brutal at paying your bills? You must be. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Every month. <laughs> I uh, know. I am absolutely brutal at paying my bills, but I could go away on the road for three weeks for a month and just like check out. I don't have to organize anything. The most I have to do is go to a laundry mat and then throw my crumpled up clothes back into my suitcase. That is the, besides it's just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling and travel. I can, I can, I can handle that. That's why I'm 
I wish, uh, I don't know. It might be that and uh, concussions. I don't know if I should say that, but just a combination of the, the two is like. Does that ever scare you thinking about that? It did, but now I know how to protect myself. If stuff happens, you get concussions. It's a contact sport. Uh, everyone gets concussions. There is nobody exempt from concussions in wrestling. But yeah, no, it was scary. But now that I know how to protect myself and I, I teach a lot of younger guys coming up and girls, I say, listen, this is how you protect yourself in this situation. If you want to take this bump or do that, this is how you protect yourself. This is how you don't get a concussion. So even when someone does get a concussion, I know the signs and symptoms to know when it's serious enough that you have to go to the, the hospital. So I'm very conscious on that. I'm very aware. I joke around about it sometimes, but this is not very good, but I do know the signs and symptoms and how to protect yourself and, and, uh, and, and be the best. Because a concussion, I had a concussion in 2012 that sent me to seizures and kind of sidelined me for like months. What, what happened? Like how, what was like the bump you took? I threw a drop kick on the floor, Pat Buck, I believe at a PWS show. And I just didn't tuck my chin and smack my head on the hardwood floor. And I was out for a good like eight minutes. When I woke up, the EMTs were there. That's how bad it was. But it induced a whole panic disorder for years. Sometimes light sensitivity would cause a panic attack. That was a horrible concussion. And I've had I've had a handful since, you know. But I know how to protect myself. I know the signs. If I do get a concussion, I'm not going to be wrestling for a month or two. I've talked to John about this before. He's like. You know, if you get a concussion, you know, why not take off six months? Your brain is more important than this shit. You know, you do such crazy shit all the time from lighting things on fire to these big stunts um, to crazy bumps. What's like the psychology that you kind of hang your hat on with death matches? Now, I'm not the death match aficionado. I'm like death match adjacent. I like learn stuff through osmosis, through John, through what you guys do. Um, but it seems like maybe the death match scene has changed quite a bit over the years. What's your like take on that? People that don't know me on the internet or try to criticize me, there's always a few things they say. One of them is uh, I was untrained, which basically... It started off true, but I, I went to many wrestling schools. The other is I'm a deathmatch goofball. I've only done about seven or eight deathmatches or what you would call deathmatches that had elements of deathmatch in my career. So I've had close to a thousand matches now. I've been wrestling for 18 years, but it's changed a lot. But I think it's, it's gotten crazier, to be honest, because uh, guys are trying to up the ante, I think. But also at the same time, uh, referees... And promoters that promote death are more trained to death matches and ways to make them safe. Like back in the day in CCW in the early 2000s, no referee was kicking out pieces, large chunks of glass that could potentially stab you when you're taking a bump. Plus, guys know how to take care of themselves after a death match. Still, it is, it is wild. So you think it's gotten better? It's gotten better in some aspects and gotten worse in others. Because, uh, High risk, high reward is very much a thing uh, because when I do a death match, I'm I'm trying to go crazy. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to bleed and I'm trying to make moments that those fans you know remember for a while. And I, and I have, um, but some ways it's gotten better. Some ways it's gotten worse. The wrestling in the death matches have gotten a lot better. The wrestlers have gotten a lot better. Back in the day, a lot of death match wrestling was just like this. 
all right, pick up something, smash, smash, you know, bleed. Now it's at least there's a, a good psychology to deathmatch wrestling and uh, the athletes are a lot better than they were. But wrestlers have to really take care of themselves if they want to live that lifestyle because it could lead to addiction and a lot of other things. And we've seen that in that culture of deathmatch wrestling, a lot of people getting addicted to stuff. So, And you just mean because their bodies are so much more beat up that they're kind of relying on different things afterwards? Yeah, for sure. You know, things evolve, you know, but uh, it's always been a problem, an issue in deathmatch wrestling, and it still exists. But, uh, you know, I think the guys are more knowledgeable, and now they take care of themselves a little bit more than they did back in the day. It's it's really always kind of interesting to me, like, watching that shift happen, um, you know, even from, like, my time in WWE from when I started to, to when I wrapped up there, and you see so many more people that aren't drinking, that aren't out hanging out late at night like they're up early in the morning they want to go to the coffee shops they're trying to get in the gym like everyone's taking better care of themselves after watching you know what the people before them have gone through and in all of that but as it still continues to happen even in other markets like in deathmatch wrestling I guess as people start to clean up their acts a little bit um but you mentioned it a second ago about people saying that you um are a goofball deathmatch guy or whatever. I don't even know. Do we want to talk about Jim Cornette? Are we going to talk about him at all? Do we even breathe his name? Do we care? Is he just saying shit to say shit? I don't, honestly, I don't keep my finger on the pulse of it enough. Sometimes I just see the crazy shit. I'm like, this is nuts. It's so outlandish. Now he's kind of, you know, he knows his rhythm. He knows what get, gets listeners. You know, not only is he making money from the amount of people who listen to his podcast and advertisers, but they upload like eight YouTube clips a day. They're making the money from that. Uh, so he knows what gets the listeners and makes the money because he's not leaving his house. He's like a, I don't know what they call it, a gorephobic or something. Oh, is he actually? Yeah, he don't like to leave. I think he likes to go to the supermarket and that's it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he won't do appearances anymore or anything. This is all he has, his podcast. He's gonna, this is how he's gonna live out the rest of his life, which might be, Two years might be 10 years. Who knows? Because evil never dies. We all know that. But I just think he's outlandish. He's crazy. Sometimes I listen to him because I, I do find it entertaining. You know, I, I am a fan of the, as much as I like to rile up those fans and say, I'm trying to kill the business. You know, I, I love the, the olden days and the, the stories from back then and all the craziness. And, I, and I, I do appreciate some of his insight, but recently in the last two years, it's gone off the chain. I think he called your husband the worst wrestler of all time or something, which is just crazy. I did. see. I, I know. And it is crazy. And I definitely like, you know, anytime you see, I get more mad if I see someone talk shit about my husband than if I see someone talk shit about me. I'm like, excuse the fuck you. What? Yeah, it drives me nuts. I've been attacked by his fans. His fans are the worst part of his culture because they, they take everything he says gospel. Like, what is his demo? Like, who are his fans? Like, what are who who is like the general kind of person that comes at you from like the Jim Cornette army? I would say they're maybe mid 30s to early 50s is like his demographic. And. Last week in LA, some guy came to the show and he came to the show just for the sole intention to troll me. And I went up to him. He had a sign that says, Janela fears Brian Last. So I went up to him. I just ripped the sign out of his hand and he he had a meltdown, uh, you know, and then that kind of kind of woke. It's kind of a wake up call for me because saying these people have nothing to lose. Some of these people and this is like their this is like their religion. 
This is their religion. Like Jim Cornette is the 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 pastor of the church, and they're gonna drink his Kool Aid. And I think sometimes you know I I don't know I might go out Dimebag Daryl style. Some deranged fan comes in and 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 kills me because they believe every word he says and that I'm actually ruining the business they love. That's actually scary because the, the world is nuts right now that you have to like legitimately as much as you can like fuck around and say something like that. We are in this world where everyone is like a little bit cuckoo bananas right now. Do you think about that? Like legit? Yeah. But someone brought it up to me like last year. They're like, what? They're like, maybe you should calm down a little bit. Some of these people are actually crazy. Like they're sending Facebook messages to my mom, just sending me just the most deranged fucked up messages on my personal Facebook, on my mom's Facebook, family members, Jim Cornette fans. And you have to realize that these people are a little bit crazy. But now everywhere I go, there's always at least one fan that is there for the sole intention of heckling me. I feel like we need to get you some like backup security. Can we invest in some security? Yes, yes. I, I'll, I'll put it in the budget with Brett. But security will probably be the guy, the same guy who makes the deathmatch spider barbed wire net. We'll take it. Listen, an extra body is an extra body. Yeah, it's just... <sighs> Yeah, it's things have gotten a little bit crazier because I do rile these people up. They think they think I'm thin skinned, but by the abuse I get on the internet, you can't be thin skinned in that scenario because I would be I'd wash my hands of the wrestling business long ago if I was anyone else. But people come up to me and they say, Oh, listen, I was a Jim Cornette fan, but then I came to a GCW show and I saw you and I saw the way you connected with the audience and I, I seen the, how hard you worked. And it changed my perception on you. But my perception on you was always that you were like 300 pounds or you were some kind of crackhead wrestler. But that's these echo chambers they create. They make themselves feel better. They don't, some of these people don't even know what I look like or they, they never see me ever. They just listen to the words of Cornette that I, he likes to say I'm some kind of drug addict, that I'm, that I'm 300 pounds, that I'm this, that I'm that. So these people, this is what they speculate that I am. And then they, Meet me, and they're like, "Wait a second! This is this is not what you're be- be- betrayed as." I mean, I guess that's just true too. Is like so many people, wh- whatever you're listening, like whether it's wrestling or not, but you like hear a certain amount of information. If people people don't want to take that next step to do their own research, that they just listen to the gospel of whoever spewing out whatever information. And um, yeah, that's a fucking slippery slope if I've ever seen one. Yikes. Yeah, and it's crazy because when you look at it, how ridiculous wrestling is, it's half-naked dudes wrestling each other. And yeah, let's all calm and down and just enjoy it for what it is. You know, it's just, you know, I, I said the other day, once, you know, you got past the attitude error, that was the tip of the iceberg. It was so crazy and outlandish. So where do you go after that? You know, you have to treat this as entertainment. You can't, you, there's no way you can, Vince Russo basically, you know, as much as I loved it as a, as a teenager, Vince Russo, ECW, all this responsible for the death of the business, as they like to say, which is the business is not dead. Along with mixed martial arts came around and people gravitated towards that. And the attitude era was just so ridiculous and so outlandish. People were giving birth, 80-year-old women giving birth to, <laughs> to a hand. hands, yeah. <laughs> uh, Undertaker trying to murder people and Steve Austin of funeral homes. Once you reach that, to, you can't go back to that. This is a real sport. 
you have to treat it as entertainment. And that's my view on it. And my view is, and, and my view on myself is to get as much eyes and people saying my name as possible. So I'm going to keep on going on Twitter and I'm going to keep on fighting with these idiots. Someone's got to do it, right? Go out there and yeah, battle these goons. Fuck. I'm one of the only people that actually, you know, waste their time. Football fans, check out the three and out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the volume podcast network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. Download 3 and Out with John Middlecoff, only on the Volume Podcast Network. I am so excited to have you on here. You are an absolute Canadian dream boat. (laughs) What's going on with you? What's happening right now? Where are you? Are you in Florida? No, you're in California. Yes, we moved immediately back to the West Coast. So um, I'm in Sherman Oaks. We have a house here, John and I. Um, I'm just in my very messy office that I'm framing in a way that you can't see. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, the other side of this camera, there's like, it's a disaster up here too. But hey, you only see the fake plant in the picture and it's fine. John saw me right before and he's just like, oh, you look so professional. I'm like, I look like I'm sitting in like a pile of junk room like (laughs) dude how was moving back to the west coast like getting all your ducks in a row to be like okay we're not doing this thing anymore we're headed out west what all went into that for you guys it was complicated and i'm like so thankful that we were able to move back i'm really glad we didn't sell our house when we moved to florida because that would have been an absolute disaster so it was just complicated and then also just like coming back here after not really have been here for a year, I was like, whose shit is this? Like, like, whose stuff is all this? Uh, And there was a lot of like having to go through everything because we had double of things. And, you know, I'm like, I, why do I have, why do I have so much junk? John and I are like this all the time, especially like we moved into our house like eight months ago, something like that. I feel like maybe every two months, I'm like, all right, time to call 1-800-GOT-JUNK. This shit has got to get out of this house. Because you just accumulate so much crap over time and whether it's like clothes that you need for work that all of a sudden, oh, that's not the gear I'm wearing anymore. Like that's not really the look I'm doing. Like we have such an accumulation of like junk in our house all the time. Are you guys weeding through all that? All the time. And there's still like a box of clothes downstairs in our living room, which should not be there. (laughs) (laughs) It's scary how those things just become like a part of the furniture, though. Yeah, it's part of the decor now. It's a box like like of all Frankie Monet clothes from television. And I'm like, I, I feel bad because I don't like being wasteful. But then it also makes me like a clothing and shoe hoarder. But I am just... I really try to make an effort to like give donate stuff or give stuff to friends or like, you know, I wore this. I don't spend a lot of money <laughs> on, on TV looks, uh, you know, for backstage. As you things shouldn't. Or- I mean, usually the cheaper stuff is what's going to pop anyway. Give me a sequin. Give me a tassel. Call it a day. Yeah. Just a little fur coat moment. <laughs> yeah. <know. laughs> But it's just like, it just like accumulates. And then, you know, now, cause I'm working on these different TV shows where I am kind of like these different versions of Taya in the metaverse of worlds, you know? 
So I have like a specific kind of vibe for AAA and a specific vibe for impact where I'm paired with Rosemary. And then a, you know what I mean, so I'm like, Taya has a lot of stuff. She's a versatile like, player. She's got yeah. it all. <laughs> How is that going from, okay, so you, like going from like wrestling before, being signed to NXT, coming in as Frankie Monet, now getting back to Taya and figuring out all of these different characters and all the different changes that you want to do. Um, how do you kind of pivot between those characters? I mean, this is where I thrive the best. I think I've just always kind of been someone um, who's very over the top <laughs> and really enjoys, you know, putting a lot of thought into my character work and in the ring and just like everything. So being able to play these different parts again or these kind of layers that of who is Taya is really is really great. And I'm having the most fun I've had forever. And going back to these places where I worked before, you know, it was almost like I just never left because it was so short lived my time in WWE. And I am so grateful that I had like those relationships with people, um, you know, in different promotions and everyone was so welcoming and just like, come on down. Like, (laughs) so it's been, it's been really awesome. And I'm just allowed so much creative freedom. My ideas are you know, acknowledged and listened to. And also they trust me with my vision. And I think that as an artist, as a performer, I've been a performer my whole life. So I know what I want to do. And I know the the visual I want to create for the fans or the feeling I want them to feel. So um, it's been really awesome and inspiring. How much of a hand did you have in putting together the Frankie Monet character? Quite a bit, honestly. She was the brainchild of like Road Dog and me. <laughs> you know, we would talk about who Taya was. And, you know, I would always just say like Frankie's Taya, but with like way more money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so and then like Presley coming into it. I don't even really remember like whose exact idea that was, but I had had Presley with me on Impact before. Presley has, you know, been in movies and things. So been he, there and done that. He's you know, star. yeah. He's yeah. got a calendar for Tuesday. <laughs> uh, so that was just an easy kind of fun thing. They originally wanted me to have Bowie, which is our white Pomeranian, but he is a bad boy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's bad. He's so cute. He's just very mischievous. Like I'm like, he's like the Bart Simpson, Dennis Smith of our family. Uh, and Presley just is not having it. So Presley was officially, Presley got the role over yeah, Bowie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I'm casting like, no went way. where it was supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no way Bowie is running across the, like the PC on command and things like that. I'm like, no. Well, at least, you know, you know, the limitations, you knew which dog to choose. To make it work. That is the dream, though. I remember when I was doing commentary, I was like, can I have my dog be my sidekick when I was on commentary? I was like, just throwing shit against the wall. My dog would never be able to do that. One of them's too afraid and the other one's like, he would be over it. It would just not happen. But Presley came right, like would come to the ring with me to a lot of my shows in Los Angeles all the time. So and when, we, when he was a puppy, we actually had a ring at our house. So he was he's very used to the sounds of wrestling, whatever that is. You know, but if you open like an Amazon box in front of him, he freaks out. So I don't know. Hey, we've all got our ticks. It's fine. It's fine. Um, was there ever talks of uh, of you and John working together when you were with WWE? Um, I remember it was brought up a lot at first. Honestly, like they were like, well, you might get put with John and da, 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 you know, about when I was asking like where a story was going or what was going on. And um, obviously John was also like, pushing to have me be with him, but it was like, 
it just, there was never the right time. And like, that's the main, let's be real here. Like a huge motivator for me to go to WWE, not only because I was trying to accomplish this dream that I've had since the beginning of time, but also to be reunited with John because we did some of our best work together on Lucha Underground and in Impact Wrestling and all over the place. So I really was like every day thinking, you know, like the big picture here, even if I was uncomfortable or having a bad day or stressed the hell out, like we, a lot of us are there. I was just always with that vision of being like, I need to get to John, you know? I also just like thinking about that time as just like a small fraction of my life. And a lot of people almost want me to say more bad things, but I was like, I've said it all. It is what it is. And when it is like that small period too, it's like you got to go in there, you got to kind of scratch that itch a bit. I'm sure there was way more things that you would have loved to have been able to do while under contract there and blah, blah, blah. But you look at that situation as well. It's like you come in, there's the pandemic. There was all of these other obstacles of things that got in the way. So as annoying and frustrating as that can be, it's awesome that you've been able to land on your feet, obviously on the other side with you know, you look at your resume, fuck, of course you were able to, but to be able to not just do all of the things that you want to do. It's, it's nice to see you just like, yeah, I love that. Even when I got signed, I was like, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know what, what was that process like. Cause I'm sure you must've had many different moments of like auditioning or like trying out. Right. Well, I actually was contacted directly by WWE and then they spoke to John and then they spoke to me again. And then, you know, like they watched video of me and stuff like that. And that's pretty much how I got my opportunity based on my resume alone. But it's still like, a, you know, it is a lengthy process of getting in there. And so no matter what, I was not convinced this shit was going down until I was like walking into the PC because I was like, I don't know, man, like I'm so been wrestling a long time. And I like, I don't count on anything until it's like, happening you know so there's months of like the medical stuff and the background checks and then the this and the that's and the meetings and then you're like did I pass medical I don't know like it's you know I so I was very like casual about that process but then like when it came down to it I was like we need to rent an apartment we need to have this stuff lined out because it's like such a small window before you have to like officially have the last piece of paper signed and the day you're supposed to show up to work Yeah. Once they get rolling, they get rolling. I remember when I was like still living in Toronto and they're like, we were waiting on my visa to come through. They're like, can you just fly down and like do this quick? It was like, I was actually interviewing the Rolling Stones, which I was like, uh, yeah, of course, no shit. But I had not even like actually officially started. I don't even think I had fully signed my contracts yet, but I was like, we're going now. You work here. Let's get the ball rolling. Like you have to be ready to move. And it's like a whirlwind of like, holy shit, this is happening oh my God. And like shipping stuff. And then of course I'm just like shipping way too much stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) why do I need 10 fur coats? I don't know. (laughs) God, that sounds like me just packing to go away for a weekend. I was like, oh, I definitely am going to need these over the knee cowboy boots. Don't ever wear them. It's like, just pick and choose what you actually need. Oh my God. I'm so bad for that. Um, Okay. So your stint with WWE was um, fairly short. Was there... I guess I don't, I don't want to phrase this to like sound negative, but like, was there a part of you, like, did it take you a second to go, okay, right. This is who I am. And this is what I'm doing after you left. And you were like, okay, I'm going, I'm, I'm 
Taya, I'm back doing my thing. I'm not doing the Frankie Monet thing anymore. I know a lot of people sometimes have a bit of an odd time adjusting from the WWE life back into working the indies and doing other shows, but you weren't there for too, too long. So how much of that kind of seeped in, I guess? Um, I think more than anything, I was like mentally a disaster, like right when it happened, because it was so unexpected for me. And I know people can be like, well, you knew what was happening and da, 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 like, you don't know what my experience is. Every buddy's experience is different and how you handle things or whatever it is. And I think that because it was like, I got released two weeks later, John got released. Like it was just so much that I like mentally was like questioning every part of like myself. Was it because of this? Was it because of that? And John would always tell me like, you can't make sense of something that makes no sense. And I was like, well, I'm just trying to explain it to my, like, I don't know. Like, I think I was just like, it took me a long time to just kind of get my feet wet again and like whatever even though like I had accomplished a million and two things before ever going there I was an established professional wrestler on multiple platforms and that accomplished a lot of things that a lot of people said I couldn't do but I was still questioning my ability and there were even times when I was just like I don't even know if I should wrestle anymore I'm the shit what the fuck like all this kind of stuff and it was pretty hard but I think the time that I had, because it was Christmas, like <laughs> right before the holidays. Of course, right? When it rains, it pours. Bring it all on. Nobody's getting any presents this year. I'm broke. I don't got a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, you know, I took that time over Christmas to like be with my family and, and be with John. You know, like we went to Hawaii with John's family. And then we went to Canada, to, into Victoria and stuff. And I really made a point of like, I'm not taking bookings until like the middle of January. And I kind of like gave myself that time. But even when I look back now on how I felt in January or even in February, I'm like, I don't know if I was totally ready at that point. I'm definitely glad that I took even more time to return to like, you know, impact wrestling and to return to television products. Cause then by that time I was like, let's fucking go. It really is like, it's nice once that connection happens. Cause you almost have to like push the little baby bird out of the nest and you're like, well, just go. You're going to have to figure it out again and find that groove. And it's, it's not always easy. Yeah. I was kind of wondering that for you as I was like putting together questions and stuff of just like, you always seem so like optimistic and like ready to go and so passionate about what you do. What was that feeling like of feeling like you kind of like lost your passion or wondering if you should still be doing this? I really sucked. Like, I don't really know how else to say it. I was just like, I have like I've dealt with like a lot of anxiety over the years and self-doubt because like, I just, I don't come from wrestling. I really had, you know how it is as a Canadian, you really have to make these huge sacrifices and huge moves to kind of get out of the country and work legally and do all this kind of stuff. There's so much red tape for us. Thank and God for those American husbands, right? Woo. Name John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Name John. <laughs> so I was just, you know, very, I was, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's scary. So I've always just kind of taken this road less traveled and I've always had to really fight for what I, what I want to do, um, like going to Mexico and be, these naysayers and stuff like that. But like, I, at the end of the day, I am a very optimistic person. I'm positive. I don't like sitting around and mulling over like negative things. Like I really feel, as you can tell by my schedule over the last few months, I enjoy working. Wrestling is my passion. It feeds my soul. If I'm not wrestling or I'm not performing, or I'm not being creative, I don't feel alive anymore. And I think that's a very like. That's a scary feeling. It really is like a mind fuck when you feel like you lose that big chunk of yourself. You're like, holy shit, I feel like the rug's been pulled out from under me. How do I put it back? Get me my rug back. I wanted to wrestle. And I think that was the biggest thing that caught me off guard when I was there was that I just wasn't wrestling enough. 
I went from working, you know, through COVID with no fans, working at Skyway Studios for Impact every few weeks, and then right into WWE. And I just, and even before that, I was wrestling so much, but I like love to wrestle. I love to tell stories. I love to perform and be creative and think about the stupid themed outfit I'm going to wear for the pay-per-view. Like that stuff makes me happy. So when I was there and I wasn't getting to do that, because of how this, we didn't, we weren't doing house shows during that whole year. They still weren't doing, a, I think they just started doing those again. Anyways, um, there just really wasn't a lot of wrestling. And I was just like, like withering away, you know, it's in my, my passion itself was just like, oh my God, like, I just want to go, you know, perform and do stuff. So that has been a huge blessing of being able to come back and, and do what I'm doing now is I'm doing a lot of wrestling. <laughs> Hell yes, you are. You said something interesting. You said, I'm not, I don't come from wrestling, but you've been doing this for such a long time. Why, like, why do you have that mindset of thinking that you don't come from wrestling? I mean, I feel like you come from wrestling as much as anybody could come from wrestling. When I say don't come from wrestling, I mean like my family aren't wrestlers. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Teacher parents, one taught kindergarten and one was like, English is a second language, you know, elementary school teachers in Victoria, British Columbia. So yeah, I don't come from the wrestling world, I guess is a better like way of saying it, but I am a wrestler through and through, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years. I've wrestled everywhere. And I, you know, I think that one day when I write my book, it's going to be very interesting. (laughs) What was like your parents' reaction to you wanting to get into this world? I mean, I know you've been a performer your whole life, but once you made the connection that pro wrestling was a thing that you wanted to do, what did they think of that? Oh, I think they thought I was so crazy. Especially in like Victoria, which like I've never been to Victoria. It seems like it's the most magical fairyland place on earth. It looks beautiful, but I feel like it seemed isolated at all when you're in Victoria. Absolutely. Which is why when I graduated high school, I went to the University of Calgary. So I was living in Calgary when I decided to get into wrestling and I knew that I wanted to be a wrestler because I just I was picked on a lot as a little kid for being too short, too skinny you know, I don't know, all the stupid things kids make fun of you for. Uh, And so I was really like always motivated to be like, even I found like this book that I'd written notes in when I was like 15 or something. And I was like, I'm going to show them and like all this kind of like stuff. And I'm like, woo. Uh, So I was just always motivated to really reach for the stars, so to speak. Uh, And when I was like, when I would watch divas on television, obviously our Canadian uh, icon that is Trish Stratus, watch her on TV or watch Victoria on TV and Tori Wilson. And, you know, all that era was really like when I was like, I want to be like Trish. So like I, when I was in Calgary was when I kind of like really was like, I want to be a wrestler, but still didn't know how to do it, obviously. But that's why I got into fitness competition because Trish was in fitness and Victoria was in fitness and that was how how I was going to make my mark. How were you figuring that stuff out about those women at that time? Because I feel like during that time, the internet access wasn't quite what it is today in terms of just being able to like pull up someone's Wikipedia. Oh, they trained here, here and here. Like, how were you gathering intel on what you should be doing? I think I was just like reading articles about them because I would like buy a lot of sports magazines and like, you know, and then, so I'd read articles about them doing competitions or stuff online. Honestly, I was, I was doing the old Google searches like everybody else and just trying to figure it out. And I feel like Trish was such a Canadian icon that 
She was all over everything in Canada. <laughs> She's Miss Canada. She should have her own day. Yeah. When, when are we going to have Trish Stratus day? Yeah, let's go. So I, yeah. Like I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. And it's really funny. Cause like a lot of my best girlfriends were like bridesmaids in my wedding and stuff. They like still remember us like bartending together at Cowboys nightclub when I was like 19 being like, I want to be a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> I so love they're that. Like, they're like, you really, you really did that. That's pretty freaking awesome. But, but yeah, it was just, you know, being motivated by them to kind of like find my own path. And so my parents, when I started wrestling at Lance Storm School, like I'd already had like a, a tryout and like some different interactions with WWE at that point, just based on my fitness stuff. So my plan worked basically. Um, and then they were just kind of like, okay. Like, I think they thought it was like a phase or like something weird that I was going through, but no, 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 no. This is (laughs) still doing it. Yeah. And then I went to Mexico and I still think about like, if I was my mom and my daughter did what I did, like, would I be okay with that? I think about that shit all the time. Now having a daughter, I'm like, I was crazy. (laughs) How did my mom let me just like get up and move away at like such a young age? And I was like, deuces, I got shit to do. I got to go. Like if my daughter wants to do that, I would die. I think I would wither away and die. And I'm like, did I not ever think about like, hey, I'm going to this foreign country. I don't know anybody. I don't speak the language. I, you know, like, am I going to get kidnapped? But to me, I was like, oh, it's fine. Let's, you know, stay. I stood out so bad. Like I was so much you know blonder than everybody taller than everybody i'm just taking the subway by myself i don't know if this is like i don't know if this is like a canadian thing but i certainly have this of like i always just assume that everybody has good intentions as well so like when i'm traveling i'm like they're fine i'm sure they're gonna be fine like they're probably here for the same reason i'm here like i I just never i mean yes it sounds so naive and stupid to say that but like I often just put so much faith in like other people's like good humanity that like and honestly like knock on wood it's kind of worked out so far that I'm like well, I think everyone's kind of cool but we're two blondes from Canada <laughs> just trying to make it in the world just trying to make shit happen um but okay so you're in Mexico you are like out there just discovering the world do you go all by yourself no there was uh three other students that kind of went down with me so how this hell kind of happened was that I had like I got in contact with Conan who's now like a huge part of my heart. He's like my wrestling uncle. He takes, you know, we talk all the time. We, he is really was like one of the the first person to really believe in whatever I was trying to (laughs) to do. Um, and so like I went down there and I was staying in a house with that, like Conan was living in Nicho Psychosis. The original Psychosis was living there. At one point, Silver King was living there. Halloween would stop by. Like it was the craziest shit. Like I'm like, just recently I was telling a story to someone and they were like, what? I was like, yeah, it's very strange now to think about. Um, but, and we were only, and with these other students and we were only supposed to train like, you know, three to five weeks. How long were you there for? I stayed five years. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. So I was like, just kind of thrown into it. I obviously didn't know like anything about the differences between Lucha Libre style and wrestling style. Like at the time I thought I knew everything I'm ready to go. And like, I remember going to my first training session at Gimnasio Jordan, which is in like downtown Mexico city and silver King was teaching the, the class. And there was who now we all know as lady Shani and Lou dark were there as well. 
I remember he asked me in like, you know, broken English, like how long I was going to stay. And I'm like, I don't know, like three to five weeks. And he's like, well, you should just go home. You're not going to learn anything in that time. I was like, just like how I've always been screw this guy. Like I'm going to do this. And, and I didn't care. You know, I was so broke for a long time. I was just like making it. I don't know how, but making it work. And, you know, I was training all the time every night with him. I was training in the morning with the late, great Gran Apache and also doing some afternoon sessions with Sky Day, all while maneuvering Mexico City as a little Canadian. And, uh, you know, in the first few days I was there, Conan introduced me to El Hijo del Perro Aguayo, who then said to me, how long are you going to stay? And I said, I don't know, three to five weeks. And he goes, no, I think we change your plans. You're going to stay here now and be part of our faction. Then I started, you know, balleting and managing for him on AAA TV. I wasn't, I wasn't like signed to AAA right away. It took me about like eight to nine months of traveling with Pero and being on TV with him. And then like, eventually I was like, Hey, Conan, Pero, what do you guys think about me not wearing heels in a dress? I want to be more involved in the matches. Can I wear gear? And like, things like that, that started kind of like moving everything along. And that's exactly what happened. And I, you know, eventually, so I started in March. And by November, I was had been offered to be full time with AAA. Oh, my gosh. What, what was it about the Lucha style that just like sucked you in while you were there? I mean, you come from training with Lance Storm to then going down to Very Mexico. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, how did you kind of just like bridge the gap between what you learned from Lance into what you were learning there? A lot of like. Things that I had learned from Lance, which were, you know, the essential basics of what is professional wrestling. Like I really had to just wrap my head around that. Some of the things that happened in the States and our style are completely different. Like I remember just going to watch Lucha Libre shows at Arena Nau Calpan, which is actually where like Nacho Libre was filmed. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, we would go to these shows. Like it was really cheap. You just take subway, take the bus. Then you like get your cheap beer with the Michelada stuff on it and like eat your nachos and watch wrestling. That sounds great. That actually sounds like a great way to spend your time. Oh my God. It was great. It was still like the the cheapest cheese in the world. But to me at the time I was just like, yes. Uh, (laughs) And I would watch wrestling and just be like, I don't understand anything that's going on here. The psychology is totally different. If that, or is it non-existent? I don't know. But I just started trying to like understand, you know, the formula of how these kind of matches are put together. And I just really fell in love with the fact that the Mexican fans are just a whole other level of passionate and crazy and just believe it. This is literally raising grain in their culture. So there's such a different level of respect and mystery and magic and all this kind of stuff that goes into it. And, you know, like that's another reason why I have the biggest entrance coats in the history of entrance coats, because, you know, every time I would go to a pay-per-view like Conan's like, I think I love your jacket, but let's make it a little bigger and let's make it a little bigger because that's just how it is. If you look at, you know, um, someone like Blue Demon or Phantasma's dad or like, you know, like everything like that. Like they all had these crazy, mysterious, wonderful looks, which puts you in this totally different kind of category. That stuff pumps me up. Like even when I went over um, with John when he was working with uh, New Japan and did Wrestle Kingdom and I just got to like be there as a fan and watched it and I was like, holy shit, like it just changed my perspective of wrestling and like their gear, their entrance, the pageantry, what the fans were. Like it's so cool just being submerged in another culture and something that you're already so familiar with, but seeing it through a different lens is so cool. Absolutely. And 
it's just inspiring and fun and and different and like it's so cool for me to now be seeing like how many lucha libre influences you see in the american style and in you know new wrestlers coming up and it's just it's really cool Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking Having this interview, having a hangout, it's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.